Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. This is such an important topic, uh, victory over sin, uh, the new covenant answer to dealing with temptation. I want to start by, um, by sharing a testimony. Um, when I was, uh, let's see, it's been exactly uh, 41 years ago now since I was called into ministry, full-time ministry. I was a, I was a junior in college. I uh, had gone to my parents' home. I was living in North Alabama, going to the University of North Alabama. And uh, on spring break of... of uh, 1979, I, I went home to visit my parents for spring break. They had moved to Richmond, Virginia in January, so they moved off and left me, and they did give me a forwarding address. That was a really good thing of them to do. But um, I, I, they moved away, and uh, so during spring break, I was, you know, they moved in January, early January. I was very glad to uh, be able to visit them in, in Richmond in their new home, uh, but as it worked out, my dad got stuck at a, on a project in Venezuela, couldn't make it home. My, my brother was in college, my sister was in school, and my mom was doing stuff with people that she was running with at the time. I mean, you know, like socializing for my dad, and that was kind of the thing that, you know, you did back in those days. But anyway, I had a lot of time by myself during that week. Uh, and I was kind of bummed out about that. I came to spend time with my family, and they weren't around. So what ended up happening is I spent a lot of time just driving around Richmond. And the Lord just began to show me the emptiness in the faces of people. Like he gave me like discernment into emptiness. And, and I, I was in, I remember the last place I was before I went home, uh, back to my mom and dad's. I was in this big two-story shopping mall, very similar to uh, the one in, in Beaver Creek. And... Um, I just remember seeing people, very wealthy people in Richmond, walking around with these big, you know, Fifth Avenue, you know, Saks Fifth Avenue bags full of whatever. But I could see the emptiness in their eyes. I could see the pain in their faces. I could just, I just had this insight. And so I drove home, and and as I'm going up to my room, on the steps on the, I was halfway up the steps to my the guest room where I was staying, when the Lord said, Neil. I showed you the emptiness. I showed you the pain in people's faces today. Would you be willing to commit your life to helping me do something about that? And I said, yes. I know the spot. I wish I could go back to that house and step up, stand on those steps where I, I said yes to full-time ministry. Somebody else owns that house. They'd probably have me arrested for trespassing. But anyway, three months later, fast forward three months later, mom and dad and my brother and sister, my whole entire family, uh, went to Caracas, Venezuela to spend the summer at this uh, Reynolds International plant in, in Caracas. Now, Caracas currently is probably the most dangerous city in, in the, the world. I don't know if you know what's going on in Venezuela, but it is really bad. But in, back in the day, it was very much like it was very westernized. And uh, very, very safe. And my family, my, my brother just worked a summer job there at the plant. And my dad was, was running the project. And my mom, my mom and sister just hung out. But I was 
I was hired by my parents for school money to go back to Richmond and to house sit for the entire summer. It was one of the worst, loneliest summers of my entire life. My family was, you know, thousands of miles away. Uh, I went to work for King's Dominion, which is very much like King's Island. Uh, I was working in the food services department with a bunch of knuckleheads that didn't know Christ. I mean, I, there were probably five or six of these guys that they were just, they were my age and a little younger. Uh, and even my boss was like, I think he was the same age as me. But they were pot-smoking, womanizing pagans. And they gave me the hardest time because I wouldn't go to the bars with them after work. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to these parties where they were, you know, uh, you know getting dates, so to speak. And uh, I was going to go to um, Washington, D.C. I'd never been to Washington, D.C. I was, only, I was less than 100 miles from Washington, and a group of guys were going to go to Washington. I'm like, they asked me to go, and I'm like, yeah, finally I accepted an invitation. Well, one of the younger guys that really liked me and looked up to me pulled me aside and said, Neil, don't do that. I'm like, why not? I've never been to Washington. He said, I know that. But he said, all the way there and all the way back, these guys are going to be smoking weed, and you're going to have a contact high the entire day. And you won't even remember Richmond or, or, or Washington. And so I, I actually didn't get to go to Washington until, until Wes was born after Wes was born with, with my family. But anyway, I ran into a summer of terrible temptation. Like, like, like I mean, I, you know, I didn't do the womanizing thing. I didn't do that. But it was just a really, really difficult summer. And I remember just constantly fighting temptation and constantly losing the battles. And one of the things I want to I say to you this morning, let's see, here we go, is that fighting temptation in the flesh, just exerting your will against temptation does not work. It just doesn't work. And I found that out the hard way that summer. Um, there's a, uh, Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says, anytime you're faced with a temptation and you exert your will Against that temptation, you have just handed that temptation power. To the extent that you exert energy against the temptation in your willpower, in your flesh, in your own strength, you just handed that temptation power. And you will ultimately lose. So as soon as you start fighting, you've already lost the battle. That probably doesn't even make sense to you. But it's true, it's the truth. We cannot fight temptation to sin in our own strength. We can't do it. It's a losing battle. We'll lose every single time. I, I want to show you something here. This is, this is uh, from 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six, And this next, uh, th- th- it says the sting of death is sin. Sin is what brought death into the world. But look at this next phrase. This is really fascinating to me. And the power of sin is the law. By the way, that sums up the entire book or, or chapter 7 of, of Romans, the book of Romans. Romans 7 is basically saying this right here. The power of sin is in the law. We're going to look at that later. But, but um, I'm telling you, there's something about our human nature that when we're told we can't do something, 
something rises up in us and says, oh, yeah? <laughs> you know, I've often said, you know, when you see a sign that says, keep off the grass, you either want to step on it or smoke it, one, you know, one or the other. And so, so it just doesn't work. And so here's the deal. Here's what happened that summer. I was, um, I was desperate. I was desperate. And I'd been reading through uh, the Bible. Been, been, um, I started in, um, you know, Matthew. And uh, uh, I can't remember exactly when I started. It was sometime that winter. I started reading through the Gospels. And uh, I'd gotten through John, or, or, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts. And I was just about to start the book of Romans when I had this particularly bad day off. I was lonely. I was struggling. And, um, and so I, I pick up the, the Bible. I'm like, God, there's got to be some answer to my struggle with sin. You know, please show me something. So I started reading Romans. And, I, and I, I, you know, I got to, you know, Romans 1 talks about how, you know, the whole, you know, 1, 2, and 3 actually talks about how we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gospel is, is the way out. The gospel is the answer to this whole thing. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, it was my first time ever in the book of Romans. I'd received the call to ministry, and I still hadn't read Romans. That's really weird, but I was, I was working on it. I was working on it. I'd read the Old Testament. You know, that's the problem. I think I started with the Old Testament. I started with Genesis and reading through, got to the Gospels. I had never gotten to the book of Romans. And so I get to Romans, you know, 3, and I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged a little bit because it seems like Jesus is the answer to my problem, and he is. But I got to Romans 5 and I got really, really excited because listen to this. It says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, that feels good. There's grace. There's grace. There's grace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it says that that he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our our justification. So that's the end of Romans 4. That's awesome. Uh, so, so, so we've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, we, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So I'm standing by faith in the grace of God. He's justified my, me from my sins. Okay, I'm feeling better. I'm justified. And he goes on to talk about... Um, at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? If, we were God's in, if, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only so, but we rejoice in, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. We're reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus. Ah, oh, grace, salvation. Thank you, God. So I keep reading, keep reading. This is getting better. Maybe there's an answer for my struggle with sin here. He goes on, he says, Ah, uh, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men all, because all sin. But the gift is not like the trespass. For the many 
If the many died by the trespass of one man, so we, I mean, sin spread to the race like cancer, and we're all, we're all dying because of, of uh, one man's sin. The many died because of the trespass of one man. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? The gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? This is sounding really great. I'm just loving this. I don't normally read this much, by the way, but I'm going to read a lot today. All right, here we go. For just as through the disobedience of the one man many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. That's really good news. I mean, that is good news. The law was added that the trespass might increase. The law was added that the trespass might increase. The law is a mirror that shows you how bad you are in your own strength, in in your old self. It's like a mirror that shows you got chocolate on your face, but it has no power to get that chocolate off your face. It just shows you that you got chocolate on your face. Somebody else has to do something about the chocolate. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Love it, man. I love it. I'm covered by grace. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace may reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is really good news. And you know, that's where probably 75% of Christians in, in, our, in our nation in, that go to church stop. We have grace to cover our sin. When we sin, there's grace. You know, it's like this. How many of you have, well, okay, you can answer this question. How many of you have uh, homeowner's insurance? Raise your hand. Please, raise your hand. Okay, you have homeowner's insurance. That's really great. So if your house burns, you can have the money to rebuild your house through that insurance. That is awesome news. That's what grace is. It's, it's you know, if you sin, when where sin uh, increases, grace increases all the more. Hallelujah. But what if you rebuilt your house and two months later it burned down again? Well, you go back to the insurance company and say, I have my, my house burned again. Could I have some more, can I have some more money to, okay, well, you paid your premiums. I guess we can rebuild it again. And, but how many times do you think that your house is going to burn and you rebuild it, you know, after two months and then two months and then two months, that your insurance company is going to cancel your policy? That actually happened to me a few years back. I had three wrecks in one year. State Farm kicked me out. They're like, you're done. We're at, you know, no more money for you. Even though I'd paid them thousands of dollars and they probably paid me hundreds, they still canceled my policy because I didn't know how to back a car up. Anyway, please don't laugh at me. You know, I really hope that the gospel has more for us than just grace to cover our sin. What about not sinning? Wouldn't that be great? But most Christians think that they're sinners. Their, their identity is that they're sinners. 
I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. So if you identify yourself as a sinner, what are you going to naturally do? You're going to sin. Oh, but where sin increases, grace increases all the more. So Paul asked this really great question. And um, could, could a couple of you guys grab those um, sheets in the back off that black table and just pass them out for me? Because I want to read something to you. Um, I read Romans 6. I read Romans 6 when I was, that summer I was reading through. I got through Romans 5 and I started reading Romans 6. And I, I ran into something that really, really bothered me. It really disturbed me. In fact, it almost made me hopeless. Because I got into Romans 6 and I couldn't relate to what was being said. And most Christians that I know of, most American Christians, don't understand this at all. I'm going to be reading out of the, the Passion Translation. This is the best translation of Romans 6 I've ever seen. I wish I'd had this translation uh, that horrible day in the summer of 1979 when I was struggling so much. I wish I'd had this translation. But I want to say this. Knowing the truth gives you hope in dealing with sin. Knowing the truth gives you hope in dealing with sin. This did not give me hope immediately. (laughs) What I'm going to read here, I'm I'm going to just walk through this real quick, and we're just going to look at what it says. So in the Passion Translation, right? so let me just back up for a second. Just as sin reigned through death, and so also this sin-conquering grace will reign as king through righteousness, imparting eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and Messiah. Amen. That's awesome. Where grace increases, or where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. So what do we do? Paul asks the obvious question here. So what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? Do we just keep burning the house down so we can get the fire insurance, you know, policy redeemed? I mean, you know, like we can get the money to rebuild a house. Every two months we have to, you know, it burns down, we have to build it back. That's, that's really not a good way to live. And that's not how God wants us to live when it comes to sin, because sin is burning our house down. But we get grace. That's great. But wouldn't you rather just not sin? But most people don't really, they think they're sinners, you know, I'm a, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And if, you, if that's your identity, that's what you'll do. And Paul says, so what shall we do then? Shall we go on sinning so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What kind of, he said, what a terrible thought. It is a terrible thought. I couldn't agree more, Paul. But here's the, here's the part that just really just rocked me. We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. And I said, nah, I just sinned. That's why I'm digging through this book right now. I'm trying to find out how to stop doing this stuff. And yet, Paul says that I died to sin. I did not feel dead to sin. I'm, I'm going to tell you that right now. So the conclusion that I drew was that I wasn't a Christian. Because Christians don't sin, right? According to what Paul just said. It gets worse and better. 
So how could we live under sin's rule any uh, a moment longer? Well, I'll, you know, Paul, I could show you. Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Christ, the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death? Sharing in his death by baptism means that we were co-crucified and entombed with him, buried with him, so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have become co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's not my experience at all. Again, you don't have to raise your hand when I ask this question. How many of you believe that your experience trumps God's word? That the truth of your experience trumps the truth of God's word? Paul just said that we died with Christ. We were co-crucified with him. We were co-buried with him. And we were co-raised with him to live a new life in the spirit in victory over sin. That we died to sin. But my experience was telling me something completely different. What a, what a dilemma I had. What a dilemma I had. I, I, I honestly didn't know what to do. I was, I, was, I was starting to feel very, very hopeless. Like, I can't track with Paul. I understand grace. I understand when I sin, grace abounds. When my house burn down, burns down, I have insurance to pay for it. But I do not understand how to stop sinning. And I told the Lord right at that moment, I'm like... If I am actually a Christian and I'm just not getting what Paul's saying, if you show me how, what this means and how to figure this out, I will write a book and tell the world. Well, I'm writing a book. <laughs> I've got about 11 chapters written so far. I'm, I think I've got about seven more chapters, and then I'm going to try to see if I can get it published. It's not all about this, but it certainly does have this in it. Because 30 years later, I figured this out. Now, the reason I'm preaching this teaching this morning is I want to save you 30 years. Some of you don't have 30 years. <laughs> hey, don't roll your eyes at me, Linda Gale. You know what I'm talking about. All right. I know you're only 30, but, you know, you'll probably live past 60. Um, so, so let's just keep reading this. This is so amazing. For since we are permanently grafted into Christ to experience a death, well, I'm in verse 5, by the way, to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and live the new life that it imparts. This book is saying that not only did I die with Christ, I was crucified with when he died on the cross. See, see the problem is the church understands Jesus died for me. The church does not understand that, that Jesus died as me, and I died with him. He's the last Adam. The way Adam plunged us into sin, Jesus on the cross plunged us into righteousness, into a new life. When he was resurrected, the first thing he did, the evening of his resurrection, he went to his disciples and said to them, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he breathed on them. And guys, that's when they were, the church was born again. That's when the, the disciples were born again. He breathed the same breath into them that, that God breathed into Adam the day he was created. I guarantee you he wasn't just doing a little 
little sermon illustration when he did that. When he breathed on them, he, they were born again. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them, and they did, and they received life. Now, they were filled with the Holy Spirit several days later, about 50 if I have it right. And then they went out and began to live like Jesus. But right then, they were born again. Look at verse 6. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? Our former identity is sinners. Deprived of its power. For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitting to sin's power. Like I said, I wish that I'd had that translation, this translation. This is a new translation, but within the last five to seven years or so. But what a powerful thought. Guys, I want to tell you something. The truth of God trumps your experience. And we live the truth of God by faith. And I'm I'm going to get to that in a moment, but let's just keep reading. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share the fullness of his life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice he died to sin's power once and for all, but now he lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. Listen to this. So let it be the same with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Christ. That is the key. In union with Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. You are in union. If you have Christ in you, and I would be willing to bet that 99% of you do, you are in union with him. His life is in you. You're in him And you have power over sin. You have power over sin. You have power over temptation. Let's just keep reading. Sin is is a dethroned monarch. In other words, he's no, no longer a king in your life. So you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live, compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. Have your... How many of you have already received your new body? Uh, Oh, you've received your new body already. So you're not going to get a better body when you go to... Okay. I haven't received my new body yet. Because this morning when I got up, this body hurt. I have to... Listen, I have to spend several minutes in the shower just letting the hot water hit my back so I I can actually move my back. Every morning I wake up, it's tight... My, my, my calves and Achilles tendons are tight. I have to do all kinds of stretching exercises. Doug Massey, I know you do those too. Uh, just to be able to move around. I'm 61. I'm, I'm pretty happy about the body I have. I have a pretty good body. But it ain't... <laughs> it, it, it's not been redeemed. Like, it's not what it's going to be. My spirit is perfected. My soul is being made perfect daily by the Holy Spirit. 
I'm learning how to walk in freedom, learning how to walk in victory. My body still is fallen, and so my body is generally where I'm tempted. The enemy oftentimes brings temptation, um, and, and <laughs> we get tired, we get discouraged sometimes, we get frustrated, our, our wounds get tweaked and triggered by other people or even our own actions. After great triumphs comes great trial, often. And the tendency is to want to medicate that pain. Whether it's from a wound or a frustration or emptiness and boredom, our tendency is to want to fill that emptiness or soothe that pain. And we usually do it by, through our bodies. We go to our cell phones, we play video games, we... Uh, you know, we, we follow sports, I mean, you know, 24-7 sports. I think that's actually a website. Uh, you know, there's shopping, there's, you name it. There's all kinds of ways to medicate pain. And we usually, generally are tempted in the realm of what Paul calls the flesh. Because our bodies are still fallen. And our brains are still fallen. You can be a wonderful Christian... And battle depression and battle anxiety. Did you know that one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, Charles Spurgeon, battled depression? Sometimes he would go six months at a time and couldn't preach because of depression. He had some kind of disorder in his brain. Great preacher. Constantly battled depression. It was was a a physiological thing in his brain. He couldn't help it. He was in a fallen body. I'm telling you guys... That we struggle sometimes with just, you know, stuff. And the enemy's always there to offer us a solution that leads to death. It always leads to death. So verse 13, So then refuse to answer the call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness, Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to Him as one who has now experienced resurrection. You now live for His pleasure, not your own, ready to be used for His noble purpose. Remember this, sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. Hallelujah. Verse 16, let's just jump down there. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? See, we're, not no, we're no longer dominated by sin. We, you, but you choose carefully, for you surrender yourself uh, to become a servant bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master, even as a Christian. And it will own you and reward you with death every single time. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect holiness. Guys, here's the thing. Christ has overcome sin and death for us. And he lives in you. And he wants to do for you what Paul is talking about here. So knowing the truth gives you hope but your old Adam life has been crucified with Christ you were co-resurrected with Christ as a new creation 
You were given the spirit of life. You're going to get a handout with this on it. You were given the spirit of life. You died to sin and slavery to the cravings of your flesh. And you are free to offer yourself fully to God. And that's the way to live. Without your house burning down every couple months. But here's the, here's the true victory over sin. Trusting the truth of Jesus sets you free from sin. Trusting the truth of Jesus sets you free from... Jesus is arguing with the, or with the... Not the disciples, although he does that some too. With the Pharisees when he makes a statement. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will... If the truth sets you free, the lies of Satan... Find you. But we believe his lies. The church has so long believed that you're sinners, that we're sinners. It's a lie. Never in the New Covenant, never in the New Testament does does Paul or Peter or any of the, the writers of the New Testament call the people of Christ sinners. He calls them saints. They were formerly sinners. Read Ephesians 2. Formerly sinners. Not anymore. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If we just keep giving ourselves over to sin, it will enslave us. There's something called neuropathways in our brains. And every time we go over the same ground and do the same thing, we we make a little deeper groove and a little wider road. And every time we go that way, we increase the, 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 the tendency to go back that way. It's called neuropathways. It's a habit. And you, every time, okay, so I'm hurting and, and I choose to drink. Oh, I'm hurting again, I'll drink some more. Oh, I'm hurting again, I'll drink some more. Well, yeah, I know I'm, I'm saved and Jesus loves me, but I, I've got this pain, I've got to medicate it, so I'm going to drink. I'm just using, you know, that's just one example. I'll use drugs, whatever. We don't have to be, that's, that's, that's when you become a slave. You travel that same neural pathway. What Jesus wants you to do is to take you in a different direction through obedience to him. And did you know that in a very short time, the, the neural pathways, that, that well-worn path, will grow over with weeds and vines and it'll, it'll, block, it'll block that and you'll go this new way now. That's what we have to do. We have to become, we, we just have to, so here's how it works. Here's how it works, guys. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here's the key to the whole thing. Your experience is not the truth. God's word is the truth. But in order for it to become a reality in your life, you have to believe it and you have to trust Jesus. You have to trust Jesus because he says if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And it's the truth that sets you free. And he's the truth. And he's given us a book full of truth. And we just read, you're holding it in your hand right there. That's the truth. Regardless of your experience, that's the truth. Now, here's the sad part. I had to go 30 years on my own to figure this out. Where was the church? Where were the disciples? Where were the people that tell me the truth that would set me free? They weren't there that summer or the summer after that or the summer after that. In fact, I had to find this on my own pretty much. Thank God for some really good books. You know, every book I've ever read on grace never mentioned this part. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you know, there's grace for your sin. There's grace for your sin. What if I don't want to sin? Well, then there's, there's Jesus for that. 
There's the truth for that that sets you free. But you've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. Jude is, is one chapter. It's right before Revelation. It's the last book before the book of Revelation. And it says this. Jesus is able to keep you from falling. To keep you from stumbling. I didn't believe that for a long time. And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great glory. I have some really good news for you this morning. Jesus is in the process right now of refining his church, of purifying his church, of bringing us into the fullness of the truth and the revelation of God's word. He's purifying his church, he's unifying his church, and he's about to glorify his church. But this is the truth, guys. This is the truth that sets you free. Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling. I'm, I'm going to give you a handout. Uh, I need some more help here. Uh, if you can give these out. Can you guys, Tom, can you and, and James? Yeah, come on up, bro. You guys, we, we got four sections. We'll need one more person. I put this together. Um, it's called Victory Over Sin. And on one side... There are six R's. Here they are. And just try to listen as you're, you know, as you're receiving these. Recognize the truth. Being tempted is not sin and doesn't make you a sinner. How many of you know that Eve, Adam and Eve had never sinned? They were not sinners when Satan tempted them to eat the forbidden fruit. They were perfect. But they were able to be tempted. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you're a sinner. But Satan will try to convince you of that. Number two, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Tell him you're being tempted and you need him to do the fighting for you. The battle is the Lord's, especially when it comes to temptation. If you fight it, you're going to fall. So this one lady in Streams in the Desert, this lady says this. She goes, when sin would come knocking at my or temptation would come knocking at the door, I would answer the door and I would fall every time. And then I realized all I had to do was send Jesus to the door, and sin the temptation would go away. Renew your mind in the truth. Meditate on Scripture pertaining to the truth that you're dead to sin. I gave you the back side of that paper is the scriptures that like these are like like a head start this is a a, like a a starter kit for for scripture that you can meditate on and I would really encourage you to meditate on this for like a month really get these scriptures in your heart okay resist Satan's lies the enemy will tempt you accuse you harass you and offer you pleasure as pain medication for emptiness false guilt and wounds He will lie to you every time. But the Bible says resist the enemy, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Don't do it in your own strength. Send Jesus to the door, but by all means, don't listen to his lies. And here's here's something that's worked for me really, really well through the years. And uh, um, Dennis is going to be preaching on sanctified imagination uh, next week, and I'm so excited about that. But here's what I do. I learned this from Leanne Payne years ago. Um, It says, resist the tempting thoughts and feelings or giants to Jesus. 
what I do is when I'm tempted by something, I close my eyes and I physically take that thought or that what I've just seen or whatever, and I, and I take it like this, and I, or I take it like this out of my heart or out of my head, and I, I picture Jesus before me with his hands open. I just drop that in his hands and let it go, and, and I just watch what happens. Sometimes it burns up. Sometimes he, he wads it up and throws it over his shoulder. There's, sometimes he throws it down, steps on it. But after I've done that, I walk away free. It's amazing what happens when we give it to Jesus. And then just run away from the temptation. If you're being faced with something and you can get out of the way, flee. Flee, flee, run away. There's no wrong. There's a movie that, uh, yeah, never mind. Anyway, line from a movie. Run away, run away. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Run away from the temptation. And then I, give you those, I gave you a summary of those biblical facts about, about uh, who you now are in Christ. But guys, let me just summarize with this and I'm going to close. What I didn't understand the summer I turned 21, three months after I was called into ministry, was that Jesus had already taken care of my sin problem. And if I had just known how to do this, I would have known how to escape from temptation and not fall before it. I don't want you to have to go through what I went through to get to this place. I just gave you the answer. This is real. This, this works. I feel tested it. It works. And I, I just want you to know that you don't have to fall before temptation. You can have ongoing victory over sin. You'll never have sinless perfection in this life. But you do not have to sin. You do not have to sin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your provision for us. Not only did you die to cancel our debt, but, you, but we died with you, and you died as us, as the last Adam, to deliver us from the power and the slavery of sin. And we now have a choice. We still have the awful choice to go ahead and sin, but we also have the choice to say no. Jesus, you deal with that temptation. I choose you. I choose righteousness. I choose pleasing God over pleasure from the enemy that he's offering me right now. I will walk in the truth. I will walk in the power of the Spirit that you've given me, and I will walk in victory. I will walk in victory. Lord, I pray that you would give every person here victory over sin from now on until you return. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.